the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. We thank you so much for joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol is a nationally known expert on aging and gerontology, spent a lot of her time working with caregivers and their families, and we have an opportunity to share her knowledge with our special guest today, Carol Birch. Uh, We're talking about the need for advanced directives for healthcare. Carol earned her Doctor of Jurisprudence degree, her JD, from the University of Texas at Austin School of Law, started her elder care practice in 1996. In 2012, she earned a certified elder law attorney's certification after completing rigorous testing and demonstrating her practice focusing on elder care and disability law. And we're delighted, Carol Birch, to have you on again. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Talk to us a little bit about advanced directives and uh, why they're important and, and why I'm afraid to say most people don't have them. Well, I think one reason most people don't have them is they think that everything will go just fine. They're never going to get sick. And if they do get sick, it's going to be short-lived and then they're going to die in their sleep of a heart attack. And they're never going to need anybody to make difficult medical decisions for them. And but, that's wrong. Well, I I have to say that uh, my clients are not that lucky. And your clients represent? Um, elders and persons with disabilities. And so uh, I would I would say that it's probably not common for us, although it does happen, it's not common for the general population to never be sick and then die in their sleep of a heart attack. Well, well I have to go ahead, Carol. I was going to say, when you when you think about it and you think about high profile cases and, and why we ever talk about advanced directives, <laughs> it's usually because of someone who was younger who gets into a situation where they have made no planning. I mean, you, or, or a celebrity. We think about Michael Jackson. We think about Prince in the news because their estates are a mess because they didn't yes. have everything in order when they were younger. That's true. We just don't think that it's going to happen to us, but it does. What's in an advanced directive and how do you recommend people put one together? Well, advanced directive is usually sort of an umbrella term for several different documents in Texas. In Texas, we have the medical power of attorney. We have the directive to physicians and we have the HIPAA authorization and the Directive to physicians, a lot of people call it a living will, but in Texas, we call it a directive to physicians. Now, I know that we also are uh, being heard in Florida, and I have to say, I don't know what they call it in Florida. Well, actually, our podcast is available worldwide, so 
the, the trick is check with what's the law in your state. That's a good point. You got to know what's the law in your state. But here in Texas, the medical power of attorney is the document that lets you say who can make medical decisions for you if you are incapacitated. And it only goes into effect if you're incapacitated. The directive to physicians is a very narrow document that lets you say whether you want life-sustaining treatment if you are incapacitated and in a terminal condition or incapacitated and in an irreversible condition. So would you suggest that whoever is the oldest child or is the person that you would want making your health care decisions? I mean, is there, is there a playbook that says this is the person that should be it? That's a great question. It should not be the oldest child, probably. <laughs> it could be the oldest child. But what we want to look at is who has the skills to serve. And the skills that we need are not necessarily just being the oldest child. We need the skill of being an advocate for the person, the principal, the person giving the power of attorney and the directive to physicians. We want someone who is not going to shrink away from uh, medical situations. We want someone who's willing to go to the hospital more than just when their child is born. Uh, someone who's not afraid of going to the hospital. Because when you're in the hospital, you want your agent, that's the person who you appoint, your agent to be there too, to be uh, looking out for you and making sure that your health care wishes are followed. I want to pick up on that in just a moment, but for folks who may have just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're talking with elder law attorney Carol Birch, who has been featured on Caregiver SOS on air on numerous occasions, mostly because she knows what she's talking about. And we're talking about that package of documents that may help you at that point when you can no longer help yourself. And Carol, a question that I know comes up all the time. Let's say you've done it all right. You've had all these documents prepared. They've been legally notarized and they cover every dot on your I and cross on your T. But how do you get them to the hospital? How do, how do you have them there when they're needed to be there? Great question. One thing you want to do is make sure that your agent, the person who you've appointed, has a copy of these documents. So when they get the call that because their their name is in your uh, uh, your phone as a, in case of emergency or something like that, when they get the call that you're in the the hospital. They're going to come and say, here's the power of attorney. I have the document that shows that I'm the person who makes decisions and go from there. So you've mentioned you mentioned a HIPAA document and you mentioned this power of attorney. Are those the same documents? Oh, good question. No, the HIPAA authorization is not as important a document. It lets someone have access to your medical provider and your medical information, even if you're not incapacitated. So HIPAA stands for the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. And that is the law that lets, that tells medical providers that they're not allowed to disclose your personal health information without your consent. So that's a good thing. We don't want people blabbing about your medical situation to others 
without your consent. But sometimes you want those loved ones to know about your medical situation and the HIPAA authorization lets the medical provider know it's okay to have those communications. Carol asked about who should be that medical power of attorney. Someone had said to me at one point, Carol, uh, that while the tendency might be to have your spouse or uh, your best friend or your significant other be that person, many times if a folk, folk person has a DNR, do not resuscitate in their uh, medical powers of attorney, in their medical directive, very often that one is closest to them may not follow that wish. No, 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 I don't want to let him go. That is true. Uh, sometimes it is difficult. The person who you want to appoint is the person who you know will follow your wishes. So if you know that your agent under the medical power, your your loved one, your spouse or whatever, is not going to be able to do what you want, then they're not the person to appoint as your agent. Well, and and also would it be if, you know, because sometimes that's just a really tough decision. Um, And so I might pick a different relative because I don't want to put someone in that position. I don't want to put my spouse in that position to have to pull the plug on me. Yeah, that's absolutely legitimate. That's a valid concern. On the other hand, you may feel like this is the person who knows me best and they're going to make the best decision for me. I think that it's it depends. It's a very uh, individual situation specific. Yeah. And when I'm hearing something, go ahead, Carol. I was going to say, I'm hearing that we need to have a conversation with these people, that this is not something we decide in our heads without having conversations. That is correct. In fact, I tell folks that the most important thing about these documents is not the document. It's having the conversation with your loved ones and not just the person who you appoint, but everyone in your family, because you want everyone in your family to know this was my thinking. These are my wishes. And this is why I appointed so-and-so to be my agent. That way you reduce the chances of your loved ones turning on the agent when the time when the time comes to make those dis- difficult decisions. Have you seen those battles as an attorney where the family turns against the agent? I'm afraid I have. Uh, unfortunately, the most painful one was where the daughter made the decision to withdraw life support for the mom. And the other children called her a murderer and said she murdered her mother. Wow. Yeah, really tough, really tough. And so that comes back to communications. Yeah, you know, in that situation, the mom, um, if I'm recalling correctly, didn't have the best relationship with all of the children. Some of the children she did, but some of the children she didn't. But if if she could have, it, I would have recommended that she have that conversation with all of the children, even the ones she didn't have that good a relationship with, so that her daughter, who made the decision ultimately, wouldn't be um, attacked by her wow. siblings. Got her off the hook that way if, if they all knew. Yes. I want to talk in just a moment about the financial side as well. Uh, We've talked about the medical side and the HIPAA side. Uh, How do you handle the money part of uh, someone who ultimately may lose their ability to manage their own financial affairs? In that case, we have the financial power of attorney, and it's called different things in different states. It could be the statutory durable power of attorney or the business power of attorney. 
Um, what we want is a durable power of attorney. That is a power of attorney that endures through incapacity. Because it's durable, even when you're incapacitated, the person who you appoint can act for you. And does and again, it kick in before how, that? Does it kick in before that, though? I mean, if I grant a durable power of attorney? It can, absolutely. And I recommend that it does. I recommend that you make your power of attorney effective immediately upon signing for finances. Make it effective immediately upon signing. And then the the agent can act for you when you're incapacitated and also when you don't agree that you're incapacitated. And this can be troublesome for the principal because you can say, you know what, I know that I have capacity and I don't want anyone acting for me. But as your dementia progresses, it could be that you don't recognize that you have deficits and you need your agent to step in. If your agent's power of attorney is only effective upon incapacity, then you're not going to be at, your agent is not going to be able to step in when needed. That's a really good point. We'll come back to it in just a moment. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air as we talk about the importance of advanced directives for healthcare and for financial care and a whole lot more. Attorney and elder law specialist Carol Birch is with us. Our co-host Carol Zernial here as well. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, Ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello, friend. We appreciate you sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio, and we're talking with elder law attorney Carol Birch, about advanced directives and the kind of documents that may ease the transition for someone who may end up with dementia uh, and ultimately can't manage their own affairs. Uh, Carol Birch, you're certified in elder law. And for those who are wondering, well, what does that mean? Well, what expertise do you have to study and learn? Well, the National Elder Law Foundation offers a certification and it's recognized by the American Bar Association. And so it is recognized by the Texas State Bar. I have to say all that so no one's no one thinks I'm misrepresenting myself. Um, as an elder law attorney, I had to study 13 different areas of law for the certification exam. Um, the exam was one part of getting the certification and then also showing that I had sufficient um, uh, cases, practice areas uh, in elder law, people that I had, clients that I had seen. So real world experience. Exactly. Real world experience. And then I also had to have recommendations from five people who uh, knew my practice and could uh, attest to my integrity and um, competence. 
And those 13 areas, I can't remember them all now because I don't practice in all of them, that they're all included in, under elder law. So uh, age discrimination in employment, uh, tax, probate, guardianship, long-term care planning, estate planning, uh, medical decision-making, things of that nature. And for someone who's looking for an elder law attorney, uh, how do we find you? That is a great question. You go to the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys website, and you can they have a, a button right on the front website, webpage, find an elder law attorney. And that is the best way to find someone who really puts time into the area, not someone who says, oh, yeah, I do elder law and criminal law and family law and bankruptcy. And, you know, those are not elder law is a very deep subject. Uh, it's not very wide. It's a narrow niche. But you need someone who goes deep into the topic. And what questions, if you were looking for an elder law attorney, what questions would you put to that attorney uh, to get a sense of their expertise and that you two mesh? One, I would ask them if they're a member of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, because if they are, that shows that they're putting some time into their continuing education. I would ask them what they do as far as continuing education to keep up with the area of elder law, because the law is always changing and there's always something new to learn. And then I would want to know... Uh, Personally, I would want to know how responsive they are when they answer telephone calls and emails. Do they make it a practice to get back to people within 24 hours or does it take weeks for them to get back to you? I would choose the one who took me who took only 24 hours. But, right. you know, that's <laughs> exactly <the thing. laughs> exactly yeah, if it takes weeks to get back. It certainly tells you something about uh, that attorney and that practice. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, in, in elder law, I suspect that the financial decisions, the financial side of the house is a little trickier uh, and more potential for conflict within families than when we were talking earlier about the medical side. That's hard because the medical side, when it comes down to end of life issues, is, is fraught. But I think you're right. The more common dis dissension within children or siblings and such has to do with finances. Uh, I have a client right now. The son is the one managing the business. Daughter is managing mom's care. And son is not being open with daughter, transparent with daughter about what the finances are. And that makes things more difficult for daughter, but it also is very frustrating because son's not not being transparent. Right. How do you get I, over that? Luckily, I don't have to because I don't take contested matters. Uh, when families are fighting, we try to achieve a uh, a, a non litigated solution, maybe a mediated solution or something like that, but. In that kind of situation, one thing that you can do is uh, sue for guardianship. Now, that's kind of the uh, the nuclear weapon of elder law. You don't want to seek guardianship of a loved one, even if they are incapacitated. If you can, you want to use the powers of attorney to avoid court involvement. Why? Because it it requires lawyers and lawyers are expensive 
and court involvement is is expensive and cumbersome. It's time consuming. You really want to avoid it if you can. Well, what what documents do you need to have in place? We talked about medical. What do we need on the financial side ahead of time? Great question. Really, the financial power of attorney is one of the most important. And then another document that they may want to have, someone may want to have, is a trust. Because with a trust, we can put assets in the trust and have a trustee be in charge when there is incapacity. But your basic documents are your powers of attorney for finances, your powers of attorney for medical. And so and if you look ahead to when the person may pass, can you avoid probate if you put everything into a trust? That's correct. The trouble is people don't put everything in their trust. They get part of it put in and then they um, they forget, they buy a new house, they get a CD with a higher interest rate and they don't put it in the trust. So they end up going through probate anyway because not all the assets were in the trust. And when that happens, does that open up the entire estate? No, just the assets that were not in the trust have to go through probate. So what are what are some other holes we might fall in? We've I you know, as we're we're looking at planning and thinking ahead, you know, what are some other suggestions even around the documents or just good advice that you give your clients? The best advice is what you touched on before, Carol, which is conversation. Really having those conversations with your loved ones. I can't stress it enough. And I think because it's so difficult for people, um it, it there's a lot of help on the internet, though, to help people have it. Caringconversations.org, uh, the Conversation Project, uh, Stanford University's medical school has some uh, um, resources to help people have conversations. So there, there is a lot of support out there to engage in to engage with your family it's just it's a difficult thing and then how wise is it uh to just use the internet to find uh these documents and just add your own information to it uh, versus having a lawyer prepare them well that's a great question ron and i'm not um i know i sound self-serving because i am a lawyer And I'm saying that it really does help to have a lawyer take care of these things for you. But I I liken it to how often people cut their own hair. You know, hair grows back and it's not a permanent. If you mess it up, if you mess up your haircut or cutting your own hair, it's not a permanent uh, disfigurement. But a lot of people say, you know, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't cut my own hair. Well, if you wouldn't cut your own hair, it sure doesn't make sense to do your own legal documents. Because if you do it wrong, we're not going to know until it's too late that that's not going to grow back. And um, the disfigurement could be permanent. So I recommend that folks utilize an attorney for the financial power of attorney, for the will, for the trust. The medical power of attorney, you can typically do yourself. You can get it 
as long as you make sure that it's specific for your state. Not all states have specific medical powers of attorney. Texas is one that does, though. So you want to make sure that you get the documents appropriate to your state, the medical documents appropriate to your state. And what will the hospital or the medical uh, provider look for in those documents? Oh, that's a good question. You know, the hospital and the medical, the hospital at least is required to ask you if you have those documents. And if you don't, they can provide it for you. What they're looking for is the appointment of someone who is an adult, who is competent, who has capacity to be able to make decisions for you. Well, so is um, give the website again. If people are looking for a Carol Birch, if they're looking for the elder law attorney, where do they go? The National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. So it's N-A-E-L-A dot O-R-G, National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. And put your zip code in and you can find uh, some folks in your area. That's exactly right. And then for... Uh, the medical power of attorney. I know in my own case, uh, I happen to be a patient at WellMed Medical Management. Uh, my PCP provided uh, a document for uh, uh, his patients to complete and hounded me until I finally got it done and got it back, uh, both to the person I designated as my representative and to the PCP as well. You're smiling, Carol Birch. I see you on Zoom. I am, I am so pleased that that uh, physician hounded you. Uh, that you shouldn't have needed hounding, though. You should have done it right away, knowing how important it was. But I'm so pleased that the the physician made you do it. And under uh, Medicare provisions, is that a requirement under Medicare that the PCP try uh, to get you to complete that medical power of attorney? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. In any event, it was very helpful to have it done. we got to stop you right here. We're flat out of time. On behalf of Carol Zerniel and Carol Birch, thanks for being with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Talk with you soon. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.